The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. As a child growing up in rural Oregon, I at one point had a sheep. And if my wife were up here, she would interject to warn you that any time a story from my childhood comes up involving animals, be prepared for tragedy. The worst can and does, and in this case, will happen. This story is no different. When we would pull into the driveway most of the time, there was a part of our field that, that could kind of be seen from the road. And we had these two sheep, and they would always kind of run across the field because they got used to us giving them treats, since they would always kind of greet us when we got home. On the fateful day, that's foreshadowing, <laughs> be prepared for grief, okay? It was only my sister's sheep that bounded toward us, and mine was nowhere to be seen. So after we unloaded the car, I walked through the field to look for him. And I was young enough that when I spied him in the corner of the field, I didn't go up to him. I ran back and I got my parents. He was dead, which is sad. But the reason that he died is because he was in a field of, of glorious green grass. And it was one of those, those iron, you know, those wire fences that he could get his head through the, the little blocks there. And he only wanted the grass that was right on the other side of the fence. This dumb sheep was literally eating and choking at the same time, but he couldn't stop. He just had to have it. So yeah, it's sad, but also, wow, sheep are really, really dumb. This evening, we're going to look at the gospel text that was just read by considering three things. How to unlose yourself, the joy of the Lord, and remembering who we are. First, we're going to take a step back and, and look at 
why Jesus is telling these parables. And then we're going to spend some time sort of uncovering the main point of what he's talking about and what it teaches us about God and ourselves and the church. If you were with us last week, you may recall that in, in the gospel readings in Luke, Jesus has just finished talking about the cost of discipleship. And the gospel text last week was, was a really difficult one. It's the one that goes, you know, if anyone would come after me and does not hate mother, father, sister, brother, even his own life. And it ends with, whoever does not bear his own cross and come, at, come after me cannot be my disciple. And as he finishes these really hard sayings about what it means to actually follow him, he ends with one of these sort of curious idioms that if you read the Gospels, you're somewhat familiar with. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And in the first verse of our text tonight, we're told that the tax collectors and sinners, and I would encourage you here to pick your poison, whether it's Wall Street cheaters or strip club owners or anything in between, these are not nice people that are drawing near. But we're told these are the ones who are drawing near to what? To hear him. They have ears to hear. And the religious people, oh man, they hate it. They hate that Jesus sits down and has dinner with people like that. So how do you unlose yourself? This point could be really quick. Two words. You can't. Sheep cannot unlose themselves. And in this parable, we have in story form essentially the same glorious truths that we looked at last week in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Remember? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you have been made alive. Jesus tells these two parables about lost things. But I don't mean like sort of off-the-road lost. I mean really, really lost. You'll notice that the shepherd, when he finds the idiot sheep, has to put him on his shoulders and carry him home. That's because that's the only way the sheep is ever going to get there. You can't call a sheep. You can't point to a sheep and say, go that way. You've got to pick it up and get it to where you need to go. The sheep doesn't just need assistance. It doesn't need a road map. It doesn't need a guru or a guide. And if that weren't enough for you to drive the point home, the parable that Jesus tells next makes it even more obvious. You are as helplessly lost as an inanimate object. You can contribute to your finding about as much as a lost penny can contribute to its finding. You see, being called a wandering sheep, and this has been a metaphor centuries in the running for God's people, isn't meant to evoke feelings of, oh, cute, you're such a cute little sheep. Rather, it's the sort of foolishness of my pet sheep. It's telling us that we are so bent on self-destruction that left to ourselves, we will literally die trying to get self-fulfillment on our own terms. And this is the really difficult, bad news of the gospel. It's the news that just because you dress respectably, just because you have a career that contributes to society, just because you treat your kids better than your neighbors treat theirs, just because you even make it to church on a Sunday, or are generous with your time and money, doesn't mean you're any less lost than the guy on the street whose closet is a garbage bag inside a shopping cart. 
It doesn't mean that you're any less self-destructive than the mom who lost everything because she can't stop crushing up painkillers. I mean, most of us here are fairly well-educated, upwardly mobile, dare I say, affluent. And it is so easy for us to use the brand of our genes or the way that we manage our money or create opportunities for our children as a way of tipping the scale in our favor, as a way of convincing ourselves that we're not really lost. I mean, this is the reason that the early church fathers railed against the love of money. And if you read them, they do it almost constantly. is because wealth is an anesthetic. It deadens us to our own helplessness. And there is no more dangerous thing in the world to be than a sheep who refuses to admit its lostness. In fact, in this parable, Jesus resorts to a bit of rhetorical trickery when he says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There is no such person. There is no one in the world who needs no repentance. There are only those who think they don't need it. And do you know how you can tell who those people are? They grumble and complain, just like the Pharisees. So hear me when I say, being lost isn't the dangerous part. It's the pretending that you're not that is truly damning. Lostness is not a thing that you can undo yourself, nor is it a thing to avoid or pretend away. Even if you can manage it with a few people for a few years, that you're doing pretty okay. And it's not because lostness is somehow easy or desirable. It's not. It's because the shepherd is so, so good. Admitting you're lost can actually be easy when you get to know the shepherd. But here's where us religious folk have to be very, very, very careful. Because even when we've allowed ourselves to admit that we're lost sheep, that we really need saving, <clears throat> there's this voice in our head that is just constantly running on a loop in the background. Try harder. Do better. You didn't get lost again, did you? What are you, a moron? If anyone ever finds out about, they'll leave you. No one's ever going to love you. Why can't you quit wandering off, quit being stupid, quit doing this, quit doing that, start doing this, start doing that, hoorah, pull yourself up by your boots. And pretty soon, we start to convince ourselves that that's the voice of the shepherd. I mean, that's the lesson that our culture has learned, isn't it? That when you finally get enough self-awareness to realize you're lost, and you hear the shepherd coming, you instinctively duck and cover your ears, and you just start apologizing and try to fix it yourself. here to tell you that that's, that's not the real shepherd. That's a shepherd of your own making. The real shepherd is unlike anyone you've ever known. He not only knows all the reasons you wandered off, he not only knows all the secret things that you think make you unlovable, but he loves you. And I mean you. Singular. He says your name, and he loves you. He loves you so much 
that he calls out your name after he's searched and searched for you, and he doesn't stop searching until he finds you. And when he gets there, he doesn't hit you with his staff. He doesn't kick you. He doesn't berate you and ask you what in the world you were thinking running off. He doesn't even shame you by telling you how difficult it was for him to come and find you. Do you see him? He's kneeling down next to you. Do you smell the sweetness on his breath when he whispers, I missed you, but I'm here. Let's go. Do you feel the gentleness of his hands and the strength of his arms as he gathers you up and carries you all the way home? And when he picks you up, just before he, he throws you over his shoulders, you can feel his heart pounding and it's pulsing. With what? It's not judgment. It's not anger. It's not drudgery or frustration or misgiving. It's joy. It's uncalculated, unforced, unmanufactured joy. It just spills out of him. He is so committed to his goodness that when he sees you, he cannot help himself but be overjoyed. It's the joy that has been overflowing between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit since eternity past. It's that overflow of joy that created the entire universe and sustains it. God is not tired of you. He's not bored of making the sun rise every day. He is not frustrated at having to track down sinful, rebellious creatures. He's rejoicing. He's singing a song over you. I realized this morning that I actually know the song that he sings. It was written by an indie pop band in Phoenix that I knew when I lived there, and I love this song so much that my wife and I put it in our wedding to walk out to. It's called, I Just Do. And in the, the refrain is just over and over and over. Oh, I just love you. Oh, I just love you. That's the song. That's what the shepherd sings over you. That's the song that is echoing throughout God's throne room as the angels are grabbing their tambourines and the brass section is getting warmed up. Do you hear it? The joy of the Lord is why you are breathing. It's why we know each other. It's why the leaves turn to such a gorgeous color in the fall. It's why cheese and bourbon taste so good. It's why you feel like your heart is going to explode when you see the sun set across the ocean or when you notice the look of wonder on your daughter's face when she looks at a tiny little flower. It's why being lost isn't the final word, and it's why no matter how dark our world may seem or how hopeless our personal lives may feel, it is not the end. The darkness is receding, the light is dawning, the decay is over, and the new creation has begun, and it's all because of joy. Because of the joy set before him, he, say it, endured the cross. If you want to know why we exist as a church, it's this right here. It's in this text. 
When the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for my sheep that was lost I have found. And we are a place where Jesus can bring sheep who were lost. We are those sheep who were lost. There was and is rejoicing over us in our repentance, and we are now made into those friends and neighbors that rejoice with the shepherd every time he brings in a new lost sheep. Every time there's repentance. And again, notice. Did the sheep repent and he turned and walked all the way back to camp? No. Repentance was hearing the voice of the shepherd and allowing the shepherd to pick you up. It's turning toward love. And so we gather together to worship and to remember who we are. To remember our lostness. To remember the joy of the shepherd who comes after us. If you were with us this summer, the reason that we spent so much time over the summer talking about what is essentially a rule of life, a way of living that is ordered around, and, and hear the language, celebrating the Eucharist. Right? When you see my lines in here, it says celebrant. I'm just one among many. Celebrating the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, having regular times of daily prayer and scripture meditation both together and alone, is just this. It is to ritually remember the joy of the Lord and to enter into his joy over and over again. And it is in this act of continually entering into his joy that we will become a city on a hill, a lamp on a stand, the salt of the earth, a spring of fresh water that bursts forth to quench the thirst of the dying. We're the stereo system for God's song in the world. I just love you. It's all just one big, hilarious gift of grace. And grace, as Robert Capon once put it, is the celebration of life relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants in the world. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging the sweetness of its cassations to every window, pounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening, until the prodigals at last come out and dance and the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. Friends, enter into the joy of your Lord.